This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Let's start. I didn't say guys. They made what's called the apron. Uppercase A in this case. was made with gold, blue, purple, scarlet wool, and linen, twisted together. My Sechoshev considered a skilled master was putting it all together, and that's that. Rashi says, over here in Pusik Dalid, two Sukim earlier, that he has never heard, nor has he found any explanation as to what the Aphod looked like. Meaning there is no Medrash on this. I did look in the Torah Shlema. There is one Medrash that gives a little bit of an explanation of the Aphod, but not the way the Rashi says it. And he says something so unique, it's the only place that I know of, and it seems from the Mephorshim it's that way as well, Libi Omerli, my heart tells me this is what the aphod looked like. That the aphod was sort of like an apron that really went the back way. Instead of an apron being in front, you know, which says kiss the cook or something on the top, this was a kiss the cook apron in the back that went all the way down, from the top all the way down, and went around with little straps in the front that was attached to the choshen. There were little straps in the front to tie on right onto the front just like that. The choshen, right, which had the urimitum, etc., was attached by shoulder straps that went to the back itself. And then it went all the way down, and it was this really colorful thing. Yes, it went a little bit to the front, but mostly in the back. The belt was called a choshev, the choshev of the ephod itself. And it seems that it went, the tie was around, like a little bit under the armpits, and went right over here, went just like that. The reason why it's called this way, the aphod, is because aphod does mean to belt something on. And it seems that the aphod was just supposed to be that. But it's very unique, and the way that he says it is something unbelievably special. We see this word being used in a couple other places as well, like Vedavid Amalek, who wore a special aphod of linen in Shmuel Bays, and there were a couple other, the Kohanim were the people that wore the aphod, etc. It appears in a couple places throughout Navi, but that's the idea behind it. But here's the strength thing. The way that Rashi seems to describe it is he says it's the type of thing that's worn by really important Khashiv women when they're riding horses. He says that's what it seems to look like. When really important women ride horses, they wear this backwards type apron thing. It's the riding, I don't know, riding things that they wore, right? And because of that, that's what the Kohen Gadol wore. He said that's what it seems to me that that's it is described now. Now that's a very strange description. What seems even weirder about that is that nobody seems to notice this as something strange. You would think that with everybody's arguments on Rashi throughout everywhere, in Shas, in Chumash, this would be a wide open one. This is where somebody should go up and be like, something's wrong here. Something's wrong. Why would Rashi describe it that way? But here, it's like the most obvious thing in the world. The Rashbam, Rashi's grandson, says, my father already explained the aphod. I'm only here to explain the things my grandfather didn't explain. It's a, he's not even putting up a fight. The Sforno, Chizkuni, they say the exact same thing as Rashi, all getting it from Rashi. This doesn't make any sense. You check out the Bali Tosfos, not one argument on anyone. And this is something that Rashi made up. Rashi said it on his own. There's not a Medrash, not a Gemara. Everywhere else, Rashi at least has a Gemara, and they argue about where the Gemara comes from, the source of the Gemara, the ideas behind it. Here, not a single person argues. In the Sefer Tzor Leteva, he brings for Rachel Meir Migustinin, I also saw it in the Ayana Shel Torah, the Ra- okay, so as a timeout for this, when it comes to stories like these, I can't tell you the veracity of these types of stories, whether they're true or not. I can't tell you this is real. The, the way that we usually have this is from when the Chidah wrote his Shema Gedolim. You have these stories about certain Gedolim that went through. Some of them are almost like, wow, that's crazy. And some of them are kind of normal stories. This is an abnormal story, but I can't tell you how true it is or how verified it is because I'm hearing it from people that I've never heard of. If you've heard of Reb Yechiel Meir of Gustinin, then 
kudos to you because you're a great tzaddik. And I have never heard of him before. I have absolutely no idea who he is. So it could be this is a great gadol who's telling over a story that he heard as a misora from his father and his grandfather, etc. And it could be the story means absolutely nothing. But the idea is, he says, that Rashi was a very holy person, never let his eyes stray more than a couple almost in front of him. He used to sit and learn in an area that was closed off where he didn't look at anything that was improper or nothing like that. One time, he looked out the window or the shades went up or something happened. And when he looked out the window at that very moment, there were a bunch of women going by on horses with their riding stuff on, with their little aphodes as they were riding by right over there. He was extremely upset, Rashi, the fact that his eyes had been, I guess you could say that had sinned to such a point where he was able to see something that he felt was absolutely terrible and eventually came to realize that the reason why HaKadosh Baruch Hu made him see that sight, the Hashgacha of him seeing at that time, is to be able to explain what the aphod was. That he wouldn't have known what, these, what the aphod was had he not seen this type of clothing. And therefore Rashi wrote, Libi Omerli, my heart tells me from what I saw that one time there must be a sign here, there's something there. The thought came sort of like a bolt of lightning that if no Tanaimarak explaining it. No Amorayim are explaining it. It's not in any measures. There's no Gemara. There's no Yerushalmi that explains what the Aphod is whatsoever. It's got to be something's over here. The Rashi realized something is there. Now, we've heard stories like this before. You've heard of Rechaim Knieski with the, the locust? Now, I had that verified uh, by Ravelia Munn, who told me it was an 100% true story, that while he was learning, it wasn't on that subject, but at one point, a locust came in through his window, and he picked it up, and it was the exact locust that he had been misupak about, and he was able to see all the simana that he needed to know, right, how it goes, and etc. That you can have. You can have something like that. It's an amazing thing. I am not denying at all that this story could happen. I'm just saying, I'm not sure that this story did happen, but I will point out, it's an extremely strange Rashi where he says, Levi Omerli. It's a very, very strange thing that none of the Rishonim argue on him. It's a very strange thing altogether that nobody says anything over here. That Yelis HaShachar seems to say, Levi Omerli, and then he seems, like Rashi says, and I have a proof to what I'm saying. It's the strangest thing. Why do you need, if you have proof, then you don't have to say that it's from you. What exactly did he get from? It's a very, very strange thing. And it's the only one of the big tekuna that's like this, that we don't understand fully. There are machlokism about what the me'il looked like, about other things, but this is one of the strangest things out there. Now, Rapersh argues, there may have been, this is the only argument that you find, there may have been a component that went all the way down to his feet, that the aphod, again, went like right from right over here with the straps on top and went all the way down, down to his feet itself. But he felt that the more important point over here was that it was a girdle to keep the me'il in place. The me'il was that blue cloak that he wore over the ksonis, over the white linen shirt. The me'il was the blue wool cloak that sort of like a big pair of tzitzis. So in order to keep it in place, this is what the aphod was for. The aphod belted it down and it kept it right there. Rashi and the Rambam say, Rambam say that it goes down to the ankle. But since the Gemara doesn't say anything, you could darshan otherwise that maybe it didn't. Maybe the aphod went only until maybe the waist, maybe a little bit below that possibly but the point was that it was a belt he says the word aphod you should just know Rav Hirsch does this quite often the way he figures out words is not the way that me and you figure out words when he goes into etymologically to figure out where this word comes from how he goes through he sometimes uses letters that are similar an aleph and an ayin can almost be interchangeable in his world a fey and a vase sounds sounds alike so they can be interchangeable a aleph fey dalid therefore turns into ayin Vase Dalid. Aphod becomes Eved. 
And therefore, the ephod was a clothing, a piece of clothing that Avadim wore in order to, to make themselves look a little bit better. You know how they have like uniforms nowadays? They have special uniforms that people wear in order to make sure that they, you know, they're part of a whole system. I know in Lakewood, they have special uniforms that they give to, you know, the, the people that are working in their houses. They make sure that they're dressed properly. Heard that before? It's awesome. I totally hold of it. I'm waiting for it to come to Chicago. I'm totally in for it. But in order to make sure that the people working for you are dressed properly, they have special things. This is what it was. The aphode was an Eved's cloak. That's what it was supposed to be. And they're connected in that way. Maybe that can explain all the other times in Tanakh. That every time it says the word aphode, it's referring to an Eved's clothing. The Moshe Zakinim asks questions about this. But regardless, that's the idea the reverse comes out with, and it makes a lot of sense. Now let's go into what the aphode was. According to the Gemara in Arach and Tezayin, every piece of clothing the Kohen Gadol wore was mechaper for something they did. In fact, that's the reason why Ahasuerus wanted to wear the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. Does that make any sense to you? Ahasuerus had to put on the clothes of the Kohen Gadol when he sat there. It's because he understood there is a tikkun, a kapara that you get just by wearing the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. The tzitzakodesh, the mitznefes, everything he wore was machaper for something. So he wore something. The avnate is machaper for avodah this avnate that he wore is machaper for, for a vodazar. So the question is why? Why is idol worship taken up by this apron, the backwards apron that went around? So the Panam Yafo says the hint is from the word the cheshev ha'ephod. Cheshev is a belt. But the word cheshev is obviously referring to the word machshava. In Kedushin Lametesma Bays, normally God does not count a thought as a Misa. And think HaKadosh Baruch Hu, right? We have to say Baruch Hashem for that. If I think to do an Avera, but I didn't actually do an Avera, it doesn't count. If I think to do a Mitzvah and I don't actually do the Mitzvah, it counts. Machshav is a Mitzvah counts, Machshav is a Avera does not, except in one case. The one case where the Machshava of an Avera is an Avera is Avodah Zarah. Losachmon is good, but Losachmon, you have to actually do something. You have to do something a little bit more. Maybe you say Losis Ave might be a little bit different. But really, the only time where the Machshava of the Mitzvah is as if I did it, as if there was Avodah Zarah, it's only by Avodah Zarah itself. Thus, the hint is V'cheshev Ho'ifod. The Ephod was Machaper. It would atone for the one thing that your Machshava does, and it's this itself. The Chsam Sofer, the Talmud of the Panam Yafo says that the word Ephod indicates Avodah Zarah Throughout the entire Torah, that we see the word Avodazar being used by people that are worshiping Avodazar all over the place, and that's that. The Mali Omer asks, How could it be? This is not possible. If the aphod was Machaper for Avodazar, and the Kohen Gadol was always wearing the aphod, then why was the first base of Mikdash destroyed? The first base of Mikdash was destroyed because of Avodazar, Gili, Rice, and Shrikos Damin. But the Avodazar had a Kapara. You wore the aphod and had a Kapara. What's the, what's the problem? The answer is, he answers, says the Malay Omer, it's machaper for the machshava of Avodah Zarah, but it's not machaper for the actions of Avodah Zarah. If the people in Klal Yisrael had thoughts of Avodah Zarah, the Kohen Gadol wearing the aphod could be machaper for that. But if they didn't, if they didn't just have thoughts, if they actually worshipped Avodah Zarah, if they bowed down or sacrificed or did anything else too, there's nothing the aphod could do. The aphod was not able to do it. There were so many people who frequently were over on this sin. That's why the base of Mikdash was destroyed. That's the, the idea behind the Meliomer or what he says over here. Now, let's go a step further. We just said that the aphod is connected to a Vodazar, but it's Mechaper for it. The Ibn Ezra seems to say that the aphod is connected to the Urim Bitumen. Now, we all remember what the Urim Bitumen is, right? The aphod is in the back. The Choshen was a folded up piece of clothing. Sort of looked like this. They had it just like that. On the front of the Choshen, you had the stones, really like this. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, the 12 stones right there, one for every one of the Shvatim. Inside that fold, there were two Shemos of Hashem, the Urim and the Tumim. 
Those were both shameless of Hashem and a little piece of paper, a little, little piece of cloth that was put inside there. And when they, the Kohen Gadol thought of those shamos, used the shamos properly, the Urim lit up the letters in front of them, the letters on the Choshen lit up in front of them, and the Tumim put it in order. We talked about that in previous years. We talked about the concept of what the stone stood for. We've talked about this idea of what the Urim Tumim was there. The crazy thing is, is that you'd think the Urim Tumim and this idea of talking to God would be connected with the Choshen, because it's in the Choshen. But throughout Tanakh, the word used to talking to God is the aphod. When, if everybody remembers Navi, I'm sure you do, right? Remember? Back in first year seminary? You remember that, right? When you did Navi in Shmuel Aleph and David Amelech, uh, well, David Amelech runs to Novir Aquanim, gets bread, the Lechem upon him, and the big sword of Goliath from Achimelech, the king, the Kohen Gadol at the time. Shaul Amelech finds out from Doi Gadomi what Achimelech had done and kills the entire city of Novir Aquanim. The Nov, the city of the Kohanim, with 85 Kohanim that were no say aphod, as well as Achimelech himself, he killed them all. There was one person that was able to survive. Evyaster, Evyaster, the son of Achimelech, grabbed the Urim Betumim and ran over to David Melech to save himself. The Gemara, the way the Pusik says it is, he grabbed the aphod. It doesn't say the Urim Betumim, it doesn't say the Choshen, it doesn't say the stones of the Choshen. It says he grabbed the aphod and he ran over to David, which means the concept over here is that the aphod is something more special than everything else. The aphod is almost the raisin d'atre for why the Choshen and why the Urim Betumim worked. And the question is why? Now, aphod is the of Malach, 91, with you add on the Vav. But there's got to be something more to that. What is it that makes it so special? The Chidah says that Aphod is a Gematria Peh without the Vav. The Aphod is able to tell you things. But again, why the Aphod? It was just an apron. A colorful apron that went on the backside of a person's body. Why in the world would something like this go when he's speaking out these types of things? Right? And it's crazy because he goes through over here. It's possible that there's a hint to the famous line of the Gemara in Chulun Zion of Abayz that if anybody is trying to use magic on you, just say the words Ain Ode Milvado and you will be saved. Perhaps that's the idea behind this as well, that if one has a certain amount of magic and so far the aphode was the pet, if somebody tries using magic on you through their aphode, whatever it is, their Ouija board, this is going to be the way to get out of it. Just say the words Ain Ode Milvado. And you do get that, right? That the Choshen with Urimitumim is clearly what they have as a Ouija board nowadays. It's the same concept just being used in a different way. Instead of lighting up, you just move the thing around. That's where the Ouija board comes from. It's the concept of the Choshen and the Urim Betumim with those Shemas Vashem and working in that way. Let's go back to Navi. When Shaul Melech tried to kill David for the fourth time, he sent messengers to surround his house at night to make sure that he wouldn't escape in the morning. So the messengers were around his house. At the time, he was married to Michal, who was Shaul's daughter. Right? He first wanted to marry Merav, but he didn't let him, so he ended up marrying Michal. He ended up marrying Michal, and there were guards around the house. Michal saw what was happening and said to David, you got to get out now. David said, what am I going to do? At night, she lowered him out the window, through a little rope, lowered David Amalek out the window, and David Amalek was able to run away, and then she took, here's what the Pusik says, she took truffin, truffin, which are literally mannequins, statues. She put the mannequin in the bed, gave him a red mop of hair, you know, like a little mop of hair, and then put the covers all the way up to the front, the top of his body. So when the guards came in the next morning, it would give David Melech more time to run away. The guards came in, saw the mannequin with the red hair, and they were just, you know, they looked at it and they're like, what's happened? Michal said, oh, he's not feeling so, I'll let him sleep a little bit longer. They wait an hour, they wait two hours, they wait three hours, then they come, they pull back the covers, they see a mannequin, like, oh, 
curses, foiled again, right? And that was that. And meanwhile, David Amalek was able to run away without anybody being the wiser. Tiferes Yonatan, Rabbi Yonatan Ebshitz asks, Trufim? Trufim are idols. Why did Michal and David Amalek have Trufim in their house? Why was that okay? They had mannequins? Were they dressing up people? Why in the world is there a mannequin, a statue, inside their house? And it's weird, because if you tell me, no, truffin doesn't always mean idols, maybe it sometimes means something else. What, he put it in the bed. If it looked like a massive cow, that wouldn't look like David Melech. It wouldn't be like, wow, David Melech looks like a cow. That doesn't make any sense. The guards wouldn't be fooled by that. They were fooled because it looked like a human being with a red wig on. Why did they have a life-size mannequin sitting in the house over here? This is an unbelievable review of Jonas and Ibschitz, and he goes on and explains a lot about the safe as well. There was a form of Rufua back in the day where it worked wonderfully, and it was unbelievably good, but we had to get rid of it. The Sefer Harafuos was a book of Rufuos that was originally made possibly by Noach, maybe added on by Avram Avinu, in which they were able to take natural herbs and things that happen in the world, things that could happen around, and they knew certain when the astrology, when the stars were in a certain place in the sky, when certain things were happening on the ground. If you used nature properly, you could cause a refua shlema without doing anything. You didn't have to daven. You didn't have to take med. This was the medicine. The medicine was writing down something and putting it in a little amulet and putting it around your neck. The, the, the refua was dancing in the street when the, the full moon was out right at the right time at a certain point and whatever it is. The refua was drawing a little picture and putting it up on the wall of the person who was sick, putting it behind the bed. That was called the Sefer Refuos. Chizkiyahu HaMelech saw what people were doing. They weren't davening to God anymore. Instead, they were just reading the Sefer Refuos and doing these crazy medicines. We have some of these things in the Gemara. In the Gemara, it mentions in Gittin by Misha Achsel Kordaikis in the seventh parak. You guys ever done that parak? Right after the Gemara with Ashmedai, King of the Demons, and Shlomo Melech. It goes into all these refuels. If you have a headache, shave the front of your head and put down the pieces of a dead cat, chicken, like put the different pieces around there and then pour water on it. I mean, honestly, it would sound like almost like a joke if not for the fact that it's a blot and a half of Gemara in Gittin as well as in Shabbos and in Avodah Zarah. You have these random refuels out there. And the shot is, says Rabbi Yonason Eichitz, it could work, and it did work for many years in some natural fashion that they figured out through the Sefer Refuos. What happened to it? Chizkiel was gonez the Sefer Refuos because he didn't want people to know about these types of things because people weren't relying on God anymore. They were doing it themselves. And then afterward, because of the other things that were happening, I guess the powers that be just stopped working. When we lost the powers of Tuma and Shadim and Nevuah, maybe this stopped working as well, and the Refuos stopped working as well, and that's that. Chirufim, tough Reish Peyud Mem, stands for Trufa Lamakaso. It's a way of healing things. And typically speaking, those weren't us, sir. There was something that she had, something that Michal had, this mannequin, was a way of Rafua. What was the way of Rafua? I have no idea. I have absolutely no clue. Could it be that in somehow or another, and I don't know, you know how like in acupuncture they have those things and you have those, I don't even know if it's true in the movies, you have those little dowels where you put a little, like a pin in them, right? Voodoo dolls, right? And you put a little pin in them and like it makes you like destroy other people. I've only done it twice and it worked, but I I don't think it really works, right? And like normally, but you have these types of, maybe, maybe the mannequin worked in such a way that if you were feeling hurt in a certain part of your body, you just put a little needle in that part and it took away the pain. Again, I have no idea. And normally that was mutter. For years that was mutter. But then people got involved and started doing it, started adding on things to it. 
adding on shadim, demons, or demonic ideas, or mazikin together with these things. Like Lavan. Lavan, even before David Melech, had Trufim that Rachel Imenu tried to steal. It's the same idea. It could be that there was a way of doing this B'Kedusha, and a way of doing it B'Tuma, says Rabbi Yonas Ayvchitz, Michal had it B'Kedusha. It was an easy way of healing a person of some type of, of, of some type of refua, and an Fortunately, they did other things. So what did they do with the truffin? What did the evil people do with the truffin? Says Rabbi Yonas and Ipschitz, they would dress it up in an apron, or they themselves would wear this apron, and the apron would be toward the backhand side, the back side of their body, and they would put, instead of the choshen in front with the letters in front on their chest, they would put the choshen with the letters on their back. And then they would say their incantations, whatever incantations they had, the same way that we have the Shemos of Hashem. They said an incantation of something, I don't know, think of a Harry Potter thing and just figure it out, right? And then what they would expect is they'd look behind them. And behind them they would see letters lit up as if there was magical letters just being lit up in front of, in, in back of them that were giving them the answers to the questions that they wanted. Either that happened with the mannequin itself or it happened with them themselves. And the truffin was this aphode-like apron-like Urin Mitumim replica that they used in a way of Tuma by adding on Shadim demons, Mazikin, and trying to add on to it, and working in conjunction with all these things. To, so one of these things, our way of doing it was the Ephod of Kedusha with the Choshen and Ruach HaKadosh without getting involved in the Tuma involved. They used it. The Ephod itself was used to communicate with the dead to speak to some type of demon, to get involved with all these things. For this reason, the ephod, the Kohen Gadol war, was made by Kedusha, to be machaper, to atone for the garbage that they were doing. And to be honest with you, I just want to be clear about this. I am not saying that all of this happened for real. I'm saying this happened in their minds. Could it have happened for real? Yeah, I'm not, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. Is magic real or not? You can go into the Rambam versus the Ramban. But either they used it to fool people or they did it on their own. Whatever it was, it doesn't matter. That's what they did. The aphod that we had was machafer for the aphod that they had. The Avodah Zara and the Maisa Shadim, the crazy things that they were doing over here. What were you going to say? We'll get to that. We're going to get to it. There's actually a Ben Ishchai and Parshas um, Vayetze at the very, very end in the Halachos. If you ever do Ben Ishchai Halachos, right before he goes into the Halachos, he has like a little piece that goes through things. He goes through it right over there. It's either Chaisara Toldos Vayetze. I forgot which one, but he goes through it a little bit. We're going to explain a little bit over here. The Arve Nachal talks about this in Shabbos HaGadol, Drush number three, that everything in Kedusha is a counterpart in Tuma, like a monkey compared to a human being. The human being is the Kedusha. The monkey is like that Tuma counterpart. Obviously, the Kedusha way is the right way. That's that. And you see like a replica. There's like a replica. It looks like a human being. It might even act like a human being. You can teach an orangutan to stand there, right, and to be able to hold a little, you know, hold a little tray and serve people at a table. Take a little thing with a fork and serve it at a table. But that doesn't mean the orangutan is a human being. Anybody who thinks that the orangutan is a human being, it's an animal. It's still an animal. The idea behind this is the same exact way. The apron that they have is nothing like our aphod and what it stood for over here. For this reason and more, says the al the aphod was the greatest tool one could use to be machaper for all this. That's the concept. The greatest tool that anything had when it came to stuff like that. Now, Schwab asked the question that really, as you just asked, why did the apron hang down in the back? If it's true that this aphod is made with kedusha, the choshen is in front, why is it hanging down in the back? So I first want to point out, there's a reason why a person goes to the bathroom through the backside as opposed to the front. 
Obviously, there is something that we, we urinate through the front side, but the back side with soa and everything that's disgusting and whatever is always done through the back. There's kedusha, which is the front. There's pun, the panim, so to speak. And then there's the achorayim. Maybe you've heard of like the satan being called the sitra achra, the side of the other side. On the other side, the side of tuma. There's ke'ilu, the panim, and then there's the back. When we say that there's such a thing as going to the washroom in such a fashion, there's a reason why we have no shaykhs to it. It's that we stand straight and the bathroom goes the other direction, toward the wrong way, the way that we don't want to be there. So says Rav Shwab, there's a Megillah. There's a Gemara Megillah, Chafeyam Abayz. And you for sure have heard this before. Kolitz Anusa Asura. You cannot be a Leitz. A Leitz is a scoffer. A Leitz is a guy who's... Uh, I don't mean to say it this way. And I don't... If anybody who does this for a living, and I really apologize if you're listening, a comedian. He's a comedian for a living. That's what a Leitz is. Now, I'm not saying that that's a horrible thing. You could be a really good comedian and you could not make fun of anybody whatsoever. But a late is a type of person who makes fun of things that are normal, right? And finds the comedic, you have to do it. It's, it's hard. It's hard to do. And we do it as well, right? We make jokes, right, along things, along the lines where we just, we're, we're, we're tiptoeing the line. A late is a person that we got to be careful about. Late sonus is usher. Says the Gemara. Late son is usher. You know, years ago, I, I remember hearing Rav Shore here in Chicago, and Rav Shore said the, the worst part of the internet that he found, he said it was about 10 years ago, he said the worst part of the internet that he found was not the Arise. Obviously, the Arise is bad. The worst part of the internet was late son A joke could be said in one rural town in the middle of Oklahoma, no offense, Oklahoma, right? And it's heard over the world, everyone around the world. I have a student, I have a student loosely using that term right now, who does memes. That's all he does. He's making a living doing it. Like a good living. I told him, like, seriously, you're doing it? He's like, yeah, I'm a meme guy. I'm a meme guy. You probably know who he is. Like, you've probably seen his memes before because they're all over the place. He's like, this guy, this is what he does. For a living, he finds strange pictures of people and puts strange words in their mouth and makes people laugh at them. So I, I just, I made him promise me that he's not going to do it to me. And he said, uh, can I retroactively take back. So I don't know if you've seen a meme of me, I'm going to kill the guy. But regardless, this is the type of idea of where it is. We see it's late sunnis zuster, but there's one time where you're allowed to do late sunnis. One time, says the Gemara. Late sunnis is mutter, mutter gummer, mutter lechachila. You know what it is? Avodah You can make fun of Avodah all you want. Anything you want. You want to make fun of it? Go ahead and go and do it. And we learn it out from this Pasuk in Yeshaya, which seems to compare idol worship to going to the bathroom to manure, to just a piece of tzoa. And says Rav Schwab, this is Rav Schwab's question, he says, I don't understand, isn't that crass? We have to compare Avodah Just say Avodah is disgusting. It's maguna. It's disgusting. You don't have to compare it to tzoa, to something that's, you know, to, to excrement. It's just a crude muscle. Why would the Torah use a crude muscle to refer to Avodah It's not a very crude muscle. It's very realistic. Why is it realistic? So there, you are right. Baal Pa'or was about that. But the real avoda of Baal Pa'or was to say, I have no inhibitions. I can do whatever I want whenever I want. I could even go to the bathroom on my God. That was the idea behind it. The bathroom was a means to an end, but it wasn't the end. Here we're saying the bathroom is the end. We compare Avodah Zarah to excrement. And because we compare Avodah Zarah to excrement, therefore we know we can make fun of Avodah Zarah. Why in the world is it compared to excrement? So here's Rav Schwab's line. It is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. He says, it must be, it is literally the best comparison that one could make. 
If one wanted to make a comparison, the best comparison one can make is Avodah Zarah is excrement. That's what every single person should know and that's what everybody should do. Why? What's the shot? Here's the deal. When you eat food, right, and the food goes throughout your system, the good part of the food, where does the good part of the food go to? Throughout your body, right? It goes to your arms, to your legs, to your body. Everything you need comes from the food you eat. And the stuff that you can't use, the stuff your body needs to get rid of, what happens to that stuff? You exude it. You, it's excrement. It's gone. The good stuff is there. The excrement is what's left after the good stuff is gone. We use certain words to describe what God is like in this world. Maybe you've seen the eye of God, the hand of God, the back of God. Right? We use these words to describe God. Now why? Lesabras ozen, the way the Gemara says, in order to help us understand the way things go. But it's a disgusting muscle. It is absolutely disgusting to call a Kaddish Baruch a physical eye. To say that God is a hand is ridiculous. To say that God is an eye or a mouth or a nose or that he smells or that he loves or anything like that is ridiculous. It's a muscle that's absolutely disgusting. The way he said, that thought that God is physical is soyas haseicho, the excrement of one's mind. It's like the garbage beyond the garbage. When they ovdea vodazara, those who worship a vodazara, grab something physical. They grab a whole bunch of cups and they say, this is my God. And they put it up there and they make it into their God and they bow down to it and they do everything to it. They're taking the excrement of our muscle. They're taking the worst part, the part that's not even real, the garbage that can't be used for anything in, in any normal way. And they're worshiping that. They're forgetting about the ichor and instead they're going with the absolute garbage. They're literally worshiping what excrement, excrement represents. That's the idea, idea behind it. Can you imagine when a guy is worshiping an idol, what he's really doing is he's holding, caressing, kissing a big piece of poo. That's what he's doing. That's what it's like. It's literally what it's like, says Rav Schwab. He's taking it, and he's, it's like he's fishing in a toilet in order to be able to worship something. It's ridiculous. It's literally the exact opposite of what a Kaddish Baruch would ever want. You're missing out on the entire point of everything and grabbing onto the one thing that's never meant to be taken literally, that God has a physical image or a physical anything around there. That's the idea behind it. Says the Rav Schwab, that's why the aphod was tied around the muckum of the back to cover up where the excrement, excrement comes from. For that reason, it's machaper for Avodah Zarah. Avodah Zarah stands for excrement. This is what the aphod is machaper for. That's what it took care of over here. There's some other things. Rav Yonis and Ibshitz goes on. Rav Yonis and Ibshitz has just tremendous pieces over here. He says, why does it say the word ba'asu by the aphod? Ba'asu is that they made the aphod instead of the asisa, which says by every other piece of clothing. He says it's possible these clothes were made using safer yitzira. Listen to this. Everything else they made by actually having people make them. They put the things together and they put it all together, whatever. But the aphod was actually made through Sefer Yetzirah. They didn't want to make it physically, he says. They felt that it was too special for that. So they took the gold, the wool, and the linen, they put it to the side. They used Sefer Yetzirah to form the very first aphod. And the aphod that Aaron Akoin wore was made from Kabbalah not from actual clothes. So what did they do with the other stuff? They took it and they gave it back to the people. They used it for whatever else it was. Now, it might have been made hectish, so they might have had to use it for Kodesh in some other way, but it wasn't used for the aphod. The clothing that was donated for the aphod was not there. The same way by the luchos. What did Moshe Rabbeinu do with the remnants of the second luchos, the extra little pieces? He was allowed to keep it. 
the extra sapphire he kept and he became a very wealthy man because of it. He says that's why it's changed. It became the Asu. And they made it. What does it mean they made it as opposed to you make? They made it means Sefer Yetzirah made it. It was made through the process of Sefer Yetzirah itself and just that type of thing. He goes on and he says something else over here as well. The Kliyakr says the same idea. He says it's dealing with the Egel Azov and how the Egel Azov was worshipped, how it went and what it was supposed to be, which obviously was completely different from everything else out there. We're going to end with one little piece over here, which to me really sets this, this, this thing whole in place. The Beni Shchai in Od Yosef Chai. He says there's a beautiful remez, a hint from the aphod for everything special on how a person has to work on himself. This is what he says. The aphod stands for a person's neshama. He says the holy neshama, which is filled with light, which is destined to be in Olam Haba. The only way you will make it into Olam Haba he says, is if you're able to look at yourself and recognize what you're missing and what you need. And that's true in everything. The only way we're going to get the reward that we deserve to get is if we work harder on ourselves and say, here's what I need to do and this is it. Quite often, and I understand this, people consider Parnassah to be the most important thing in their life. And I totally get that. I completely get it. Now that I have my kids getting older and things are happening, I get it. I get the concept that Parnassah takes a major, major role in our lives. A major role, if not the major role, where people look at it and they say, this is what I need to do. I completely get it. We're thus told to make the aphod out of tchelas. Tchelas is, look at the tachlis of your life. The purpose of your life and what your life is all about. First do tchelas, the tachlis. What is everything all about? And then go ahead and says, he calls this, it's not my call, this is the Ben Ishchai, Argaman. Take the purple wool. Purple wool, he says, is for some reason red. I don't know why. I'd have to look this up later. I didn't have enough time to look at it this week. He calls the Argaman red. Tolas Shani, which is scarlet, he says they're red or red. I, I don't get that entirely. But he says Argaman is red. He says red is similar to a blood color. Not only do you have to have a tachlis. What is my life all about? What is my goal? If my goal is just to have a second home in Florida, and I totally get that. It makes a lot of sense to have, a, I want to have a second home in normal weather that doesn't feel like this. I get that. But if that's my goal, then I'm missing something. I look at the red, the red color of the Argaman, and I say, I'm going to die. At some point, I'm going to die. What am I going to be left over with? What are they going to say at my husband? Says the Ben Ishchai, you look at that tchilis, the tachlis, you take it out and you look at the argaman, and you take that as well, and then he goes on and he says, then you take the tolas shani. Once a person dies, he becomes a worm in the ground. The worms take over his body. What are you? What are you there for? We're there for 120 years, the blink of an eye, and we're gone, and then we just become food for the worms in the ground. We're nothing. We're absolutely nothing. The tachlis in our lives leads to understanding that we have dam, that we're going to have something there, and eventually to the point that we're going to just be maggots, food for the maggots in this world after we die itself. When a person looks at that, then he starts working his way back up. So I'm in the wrong direction. If my whole life is leading to something, it's not going to be there, and it's not about the physical, then what do I need to work on? Here he says, look at the next word. Look at the positive that goes through. Vashesh. Vashesh, interestingly enough, stands for obviously the linen that they had. Vav Shin Shin is 606. That aside from the obvious Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach that all the world has, we are given an extra 606 mitzvah. 7 plus 606 is obviously 613. We're given vishesh, 606 mitzvahs to work on and to do for ourselves, to make that tikkun, to build ourselves up. And then he calls it maisechoshev. To always think 
to desire, to want, to build ourselves up from within and to have time for a little bit. I don't need he's voted us by sitting in, in Amuka or Miron or going to any place in Russia and sitting there for like hours and hours on end. I don't need that. Here in Chicago, you have a 45-minute drive to work or a five-minute drive to work. Turn off the radio, no music, nothing else, and concentrate, what do I want to do with myself? I had the biggest, the greatest opportunity. I needed some time to sit and think. I was going to a wedding to Milwaukee yesterday. I was going up, it's an hour and a half there, hour and a half back. And I was going to go with a couple people. I said, I need the time for myself. I got time to think. Yes, I got phone calls, so I had to interrupt. But I was able to sit there and think, turn off everything. All you hear is the road itself, the car on the road, right? Maybe a honk or two. And you're able to sit there and you're able to think to yourself, where am I going? What am I doing? What's my goal? And when you're sitting there and you're thinking about yourself, you all of a sudden start getting that machshava working on yourself, thinking, what do I want to do better? What do I need to do better? It makes you, it gets you more. So there's the negative aspect, unfortunately, where a person has to look at himself and think, okay, I've got tachlis, I've got the argum and the dam inside me, I've got the tolas coming afterward. And then there's the other side. The other side is vishesh. How are my mitzvahs doing? I'm putting on tefillin every morning. Am I thinking about it? Or am I just throwing them on and just throwing them off? I've got a mitzvah of kriyashma. I've got a mitzvah sasei midiorisa of benching. A mitzvah sasei midiorisa. How am I benching? Am I benching like a mensch or am I benching like, you know? Oh, I gotta go. I hold like the gra. I don't do from a rachamon and on. Right? The gra didn't have to do from a rachamon and on because he was learning. We have to do a rachamon and on because we're doing nothing. That's why we have to do our Rachman and everything further. It makes sense to be able to do that. Says the Alshech. The Alshech really says the exact same thing, but he adds on, he says, the remember that the Din V'Cheshben, that we're giving in front of the Kisya Kavod, which is Tcheles, and supposed to be the blue, the Tachlis of what we're here for in the world. All of this is there for us to be able to work on ourselves and become better people and to really think. And really, that's what the Aphod is. The Aphod stood for how we're going to be ourselves, how we're going to be Machaper for Avodah Zarah, not deal with and all the garbage that comes with it, but work on ourselves and what we're going to be. And if we use that correctly, we're mechaper for all the kishuf and the garbage and the Ouija boards that we've been speaking about. All the magics and the, you know, those idols, they're all gone because there's a purpose here. There's a tachlis here that we're all about that we represent. We should be zoka to really understand it. It takes a lot. I'm on my way there, I guess. We're all on the road to Milwaukee for right now. Milwaukee, it's the good land, so let's call that Olamhaba. So that's, well, we're all on the road. We're getting up there. We just have time. We need time to be able to sit and think, to work on our mitzvahs and become better people. Stop with that, guys. Have a good Shabbos. Somebody turn that off. Can somebody grab it? Because what's his name's not there? Thank you, Moshe.